Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying. Feel free to read the magazine backwards from back to front. Uh, I like to think that that's the most interesting way to do it, but I'm, uh, I'm egotistical that way. So uh, today is, is especially fun. Today is something I encourage a lot of people to do. I am reaching out to somebody who I've never met before. I've been following him online. I've been looking at his website, looking at all the things he's doing. But in the schedule of entertainment, there's almost never a time for us to actually sit down for a full hour and chat. So today, I'm really lucky to be joined by Mitchell Fenton. He is a lighting designer out of Australia and New York City. And uh, thank you so much for making time to chat with me today. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is great. I'm, uh, I'm glad we've got the time. Yeah, this is uh, the silver lining of this whole uh, pandemic is that uh, we have lots of time, more than any of us asked for, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, connecting from uh, opposite ends of the world as well, so which is, which is great. So even though Mitchell is based in New York City, he is on the east coast of Australia right now, the Gold Coast, right? Yeah, yep. Um, uh, on the east coast of Australia, which is where I grew up, on the Gold Coast, and uh, I jumped on a plane uh, as soon as you know they closed Broadway down, and uh, and I landed back in Australia the the day they put started putting everyone into quarantine. So it's uh, pretty. <laughs> oh I timed God. that well. It actually actually worked out pretty pretty bad for me. I uh, so you know they closed they closed the show I was working on. Uh, Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf at the booth? And, uh, and, uh, so I jumped on a plane the next day, flew through Dallas and got d- delayed in Dallas a night and then, uh, and then landed in Australia the morning that they started to, uh, tell everyone to quarantine as the, you know, for 14 days when they got off, uh, flights. So I got off and, uh, got to, got to my parents' house and, uh, and, and stayed inside for 14 days. <laughs> so, and here I was thinking I was going to be straight off the plane to the beach, but not at all. <laughs> wow so you really when you left that was still when the world was like semi-normal you're like oh well we're just going to take three weeks off and we're going to be right back at it absolutely yeah yeah that's that that was sort of my you know my thought process and 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 yeah clearly very different now (laughs) it's so weird to think about how long ago that was We're, we're we're pushing two months now right yeah, absolutely. It's 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 just bizarre. And, you know, even looking at like how long it's going to be until I think, you know, I'll go back for when, you know, when Broadway reopens or whatnot um, is just sort of a bit scary. And, uh, you know, no one really knows exactly. And that date just keeps getting pushed more and more, obviously, which is, you know, a bit daunting, I guess. 
So how is Australia reacting differently down there as opposed to, I would imagine you're seeing the reports of how New York City is doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Australia is, uh, you know, we're already in the process of reopening back up as well, but I don't think it's, it's very interesting. You know, I sort of got the start of it in New York by leaving and then coming here and getting the start of it as well. Australians reacted a lot different and I don't think, you know, the, the outbreak wasn't as large here at all. And so people didn't really take it as serious. Um, but in saying that we've, uh, you know, they've already, I think we're in stage one, there's a three stage process of opening back up. So every three weeks, the government kind of reevaluates to see how many outbreaks have been. And, uh, and then we'll slowly open back up. So at the moment, there's still, uh, you know, there's not allowed to be uh, a group larger than 10 people in a cafe or things like that. Retail is back open. So you can go to the stores and things like that. But you still have to keep uh, what they're saying 1.5 meters uh, distance, social distancing over here. So, you know, but so people are sort of adhering to it. I mean, I, I went to mother, I went to the shops for Mother's Day the other day and uh, to get some, you know, gifts to my mother and, and it was just absolute mayhem. And I was like, oh my God, what are people doing, you know? So, um, but so far there hasn't been any crazy outbreaks, which is good. That is one of the toughest things that we're dealing with up here in Canada. I live in this really small town and 50% of the people are taking it really, really seriously. And 50% of the people are going like, why are we taking this so seriously? Nothing's happening. Like nobody's, nobody that I know, or a lot of people that I, that I'm associating with, they don't know anybody immediately affected. So their response is like, what's the big deal? Nothing's happening. But it's so hard to say like, well, nothing's happening because we're taking the necessary steps to make sure that nothing happens. And my ultimate goal is when this is all over that at least the majority of people that I know going like, well, well, that wasn't so bad. You know, the, the people that aren't dealing with it very well, they're going like, wow, this is really, really bad because they yeah. didn't deal with it well. But the people that have mm-hmm. dealt with it well, they're going to be, well, that wasn't, that wasn't terrible. We totally overreacted. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It's yeah. It's a very mixed mash of, of, of mentalities, I guess. Right. The town that you're in right now, is it, is it a larger city or smaller um, it's no, it's kind of one of the larger cities. Uh, it's not a capital city or anything like that. It's probably uh, about an hour south of Brisbane, which is uh, which is the capital of Queensland or the mm-hmm. state I'm in. Um, but uh, when I was growing up here, it was very much a retirement uh, slash surf town because um, it's <laughs> on the beach. But now it's you know it's kind of become this little city or bigger city, I guess, um, and. Uh, and, you know, it's growing like crazy. So Nice. So the reason I wanted to re- reach out to you is because a lot of my people, a lot of my listeners, they're all rock and roll North America. And mm-hmm. a lot of people that I talk to, they think that that is the touring world. And I often have to tell people like, no, once you're in the entertainment business, all the borders are open to you. We go mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Uh, by the age of 30, I had seen all seven continents thanks to lighting, which my parents never thought would be a real thing. And I know right. that that's very similar to you. I know that you have, I mean, born in Australia, lives in New York City. You've done mm-hmm. cruise ships and then just kind of fill, peop- fill my audience in on what your last year looked like. How many different countries did you visit? Oh God. Uh, last year was, was quite crazy. I mean, I was probably, uh, 
traveling or in a hotel room or cruise ship room um, for about, I think it was about just short of 200 days last year. So what's that like two thirds of the year, a bit more, a bit less than that. But, you know, last year was, was Germany, Switzerland, uh, London, Japan, um, you know, different parts of America. Um, it was, um, and then back to Australia for a little bit. Um, so yeah, it was kind of all over last year to the point where, I mean, I love traveling, but to the point where I, I hit January this year and I was like, Oh my gosh, thank God I'm not on a plane for like the next two months, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Do you pick your gigs based on location at all? Uh, not really. I just kind of, you know, it's just how it works out really I, th- I think um so i'm very fortunate enough to you know be able to travel all these fantastic places which is which is you know very thankful for when did you realize that this was a a career path that would keep you traveling oh i sort of i sort of always kind of realized that i think um it definitely probably probably in, you know, in university when I was studying in Australia, I kind of went, Oh, wow. You know, um, this is, this is, you know, a big, a big travel industry, um, especially cause you know, the, the main part of the industry in Australia is, is touring. And that's sort of like, you know, our touring is equivalent of American first national size tour. And that was tours. And that's kind of like, you know, the, the top of, of the game, I guess, if, um, you know, in Australia. Do you think that, going through university you would end up living in the united states thanks to your profession yeah that was uh that was always the plan um, wow was, and in fact it was it was the reason why i went to university um university isn't uh isn't as big of a deal in australia as what it is in america and uh and i knew uh, in high school that you know i wanted to go do american theater that was always the goal um and so i uh, went to university and uh, that the idea behind that was that helps get a visa and, and so on and so forth. So there was always a very big fascination with, with American theater. Yeah. And still is. Broadway in, in laser focus for you. Yeah. Broadway national tours, um, you know, not definitely Broadway, but, uh, but absolutely just American theater as a whole, you know, Wow. You, uh, you're very focused. You were definitely, you had a goal in mind and you went for it all in. Yep. Yep. No, definitely. I, uh, I, when I was in high school, um, you know, I sort of got introduced to theater and, and I said to my, uh, high school theater teacher, I said, Oh, can I, can I do this as like a living? Like, is this a thing? And she <laughs> actually handed me, uh, Richard Pilbro's book, stage lighting. was it stage lighting design. I think it's called, all, um, and so I read through that and I thought, oh, wow, fantastic. And I actually sent an email to Ken Billington and, uh, and said, you know, what's this all about? And do I want to do this? And, 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 uh, and, you know, being the lovely man that Ken is wrote back to me and, and said, oh, yeah, you know, I do all these shows and, and, you know, go watch as many shows as you can and kind of gave me some really good advice. And, and so we we always kept in touch over the years, which was which was fantastic, and and I ended up moving to New York and and working with him actually, working for him. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's actually a part of the reason that we're having this conversation right now. Is if there's anybody out there who's listening, don't be afraid to just find somebody's email online and send them an introductory email saying, "Hey, my name's Mitch. I live in Australia." 
someday I might be in New York City and I would love to go to lunch. And Absolutely. Yeah. And now's, no reason and now's to be the afraid time, of that you know? stuff. Yeah. And, and now's the perfect time, you know, because everyone's kind of, you know, sitting at home and probably still doing a little bit of work, but, you know, they've got definitely got more time on their hands because they're not sitting in tech. So, yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are just very receptive to just a, a kind, polite email. Uh, a lot of people who I've thought were giants in our industry, I, saw, I sent them an email and they, they're all just regular people. They're all very happy to just kind of impart some wisdom and uh, don't Absolutely. be afraid. In, the day, in these days of websites, everybody's email is online somewhere and just, I mean, don't mm-hmm. spam them. <laughs> <laughs> not advocating no. <laughs> you don't tell them about your, your upcoming show at the local pub but yeah, do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you reach out and say hey i my name's chris my name's mitch i would love to, exactly. to hear some nuggets of wisdom from you absolutely yeah uh, so when you landed in new york city who where was your first contact what was your first uh prospect uh, well i knew no one so i the plan was, was I was going to do my senior year of college uh, at, which I ended up doing at the state university in New York up at purchase. And so I had never been to America. I'd never been to New York and that all started to kind of work out. And I thought, Oh, maybe I should actually go visit New York and see if I actually like it. So I went over six months, six months before and uh, actually hung out with uh, Ken Billington for about, Oh, about three weeks and he was doing three shows in New York city at the time. He was doing uh, an encores at New York city center, which was merrily roll along. He was doing the, uh, the uh, workshop for Chaplin that then later transferred to Broadway and he was doing uh Shatner's world uh, on Broadway. So I kind of got a pretty good range in my first trip. You know, I saw a workshop, a, a, a small Broadway show and um, and an encore at New York City Center. So um, so yeah, but I knew no one. And then six months later, I packed up and and went over and and started and I was finished my senior year there and then and then started working. So you went from knowing no one in the United States or New York in general to assisting for Ken Billington or. Yeah. So so, or yeah. So I, while I was in school uh, there in my senior year, I was, um, I, it was kind of a, I, I, I was very lucky in my timing because the current office, the assistant uh, office assistant at the time was on his way out and, um, and it was from memory, it was hitting the summer. So things were a little bit slow. So I was, I was sort of like interning two to three days a week, but I was drafting and doing things, which was, which was great, great experience. Um, and then after I finished school, um, I transitioned straight into that full-time office assistant role for, uh, about a year, maybe just, just over a year, I think. So, which was fantastic and, and met a lot of people and, and taught me a lot of things, which was great. So what does an office assistant do? Um, basically for Ken, uh, it's, it's every, every show he's working on, you'll draft. Um, sometimes the associate on that show will, will draft it. Um, but majority of the shows you'll, you'll draft or you'll, um, you know, manage the office, um, in his office are a couple other companies that work, uh, work there. And, um, so yeah, just u- usual office assistant things with, with the extra lighting component on top. Okay. 
So mm -hmm. straight out of school, obviously you don't get to be the designer. You're not Ken Billington as soon as you get out of school. Absolutely not. There's a long way, a long way to go. Right. Yep. So after office assistant, what's the, uh, how did you take the next step? What made you say like, okay, I, I'm done being an office assistant, office assistant. I moved into an assistant lighting designer position uh, uh, as a full-time job at uh, a um, TV firm in New, in New York city. So I was running around town uh, kind of doing a lot of TV, which I'd never really done and which was, which is really good experience. Now I look back at it. Um, but you know, I was always about theater, so it, it didn't last long. So I did that for a year and then, um, and then went out on tour for about two years. Um, and, and then I kind of landed back in New York city and, and really started the whole, that was kind of when I kicked off on the whole assistant, more associate work, uh, with designers, you know, freelancing, going from show to show. And then once you're in the associate role, are people actually starting to ask your opinion at that point? Or are you still being told what to do, when, and where to... I think, mm, no, I, I think it's different with every designer. I mean, I would say most designers, uh, you know, and it also heavily depends on the relationship between the associate and the designer. Um, but yeah, most designers definitely welcome, welcome the opinion and, and, you know, and timing's everything. So, you know, you've got to give it at the right time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't over speak when spoken unless spoken exactly. to, I would imagine. That's it. Yeah. And at which point you're, you're basically, you're in the process. You're, you're watching how the process happens. You're seeing how expectations are managed and you're just kind of soaking up knowledge at that point. Definitely. I mean, you know, there's, there's always a job to do like as being the associate and you have to always, you know, be on top of your game while doing that. But there's also still, there's always that extra um, added, you know, benefit of soaking all that in and learning and watching how, you know, designers manage the room and, and all that kind of stuff, which I still very much, you know, tap into and, 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 and I'm very much aware of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Who would you say your biggest influences were at that point uh, when you were just still doing the associate designer role? I mean, I think Ken uh, Billington, just because, you know, of the, the, the amount of time I've spent with Ken, I mean, he's, he's the designer that I've worked with the most. Um, but I think everyone sort of influences me because, you know, there's, there's many different ways to bake a cake, you know, and all of them, all of them are, uh, you know, a different and exciting and new, and I kind of thrive off that. So I guess, I guess a lot of people really. <laughs> wow. Too numerous yeah. to list, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you decide that you were able to bounce in and out of New York city and still travel? Cause I know a lot of people who are in, once you're in New York city, you can't leave because if you, if you're out of town and when you get the call, you're you're, you're forgotten quick and quickly and easily, but you are still able to get out and tour. You still have to be able to do cruise ships. So it sounds like you must've been, you had your foot in both, uh, in both avenues. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that work sort of started from New York's, you know, New York based designers or designers I was working with. So I never really uh, fell out of touch with them. Um, there was definitely like when I, 
but after I went on tour and came back to New York City, um, there was definitely a little bit of, you know, a downtime there. Probably a couple months I had maybe one show in, in probably a three-month period. Um, so that was a little bit, you know, uh, slow to get things back going. But, you know, it's that, it's that old thing is like, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So you've just, you know, mm-hmm. just got to start saying, oh, I'm back and doing this and, and you know, and, and hopefully things kick off again which I was lucky they, they sort of did. Right on. Who was the designer that got you out on cruise ships then? Um, let's try and eat my first cruise ship. I, I, my first cruise ship was actually me designing it. So I met the tech, I think it was the tech manager was my kind of link into that. Um, and you know the shows I've done on cruise ships, I've I've lit them. Apart from last year, we um, we put kinky boots uh, on a on a Norwegian cruise line. So obviously, I was the associate for that, and Ken Posner lit it. Um, so yeah. How different is it working on cruise ships as opposed to New York City? Very different. I mean, you know cruise ships uh you almost almost kind of approach as like a permanent install because you're not you know you're not renting the equipment you're purchasing the equipment um and you know there's all these extra added bonuses let's call them with working at sea you know things have to be locked down and very tight and there's all these maritime laws and and things like that and and you know you're very you're very much at the mercy of of the ship and and its schedule and and everything like that, especially with new builds. It can be very chaotic sometimes, but but um, you know we we opened on time and and things went right, which was good. Most of the stuff on ships, did you do it in dry dock or while the ship was still traveling? Um, I've done two new ships um, that. Uh, they were in the water. They weren't actually uh, dry dock, um, but they were still being built and everything like that. And then the other sh- the other shows uh, that I've lit uh, was was while passengers were on board. So that that can be very um, you know hard on hard on you because you're you're having to work overnight and you and sometimes you know you'll you'll do the overnight shift and and come like six a.m. Someone will want to come in and start setting up, so you have to like stop and then you go to bed and it's just. So it can be very difficult, but you know, that's, uh, that's cruise ships. <laughs> yeah, if anybody who's listening doesn't know what it's like working on a cruise ship, it's basically you, your brain wants to tell you you're on vacation because the entire ship is designed to be on vacation, but you have to turn that part off and convince yourself that you're working, even though all the other people are also trying to convince you that you're on vacation. But you also have a job to do. And the people who are most dependent on you doing that job are usually on land far, far away. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. It's, uh, yeah, (laughs) the first time I got on a cruise ship, I definitely realized that. And I went, oh, this is is great. And then I went, oh, hang on, I'm here to work. So, (laughs) yeah. So even on the ships, like you're dealing with so many different nationalities you have to you have to have your stuff together because they're going to they're all over the place did you did you run into that yeah all the different cultures that are requiring different definitely all have different yeah. requirements from you 
Absolutely. And, you know, and on top of that is some people, sometimes you get people who have never worked on a cruise ship before. So they expect a, you know, typical theater schedule and it's not, not necessarily like that. And then, you know, diving into that even more, it's like typical theater schedules and how they take shows from country to country are completely different. So, you know, you, there's, I've had, you know, a couple of instances where at you know, the start of take, you're like, or even in production meetings prior to getting to the ship, you say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to take the show and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, that challenge is very real. <laughs> Did you find that your background of touring the world gave you a leg up uh, dealing with such an international crew? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the communication skills you kind of learn, you know, working internationally kind of benefit you everywhere. And yeah, in that instance, definitely. What would you say some of the major differences are working, let's say, a New York City show and uh, anything outside of New York City? Something, let's say, Japan or even on the cruise ship. What are the major differences? Yeah, I mean, Japan was was an interesting one. Uh last year i mean you know the japanese uh they don't necessarily uh tech how we kind of tech in america they um they're, they're very different and like you know even with even with show like running a show is a good one like they have they still have a stage manager stage manager doesn't really call lighting cues they have uh the only time they'll ever call a lighting cue is uh is they call have a thing called a together cue so they'll call, you know, a sound lighting and a video, you know, often on a blackout or something like a snap blackout or something like that. But the operator uh, takes their own lighting cues. So, you know, when we're in, we did, uh, we did West Side Story last year in, in, uh, in the round in, in um, Japan. So, we'd, you know, during tech, we'd be going through and, and lighting the show. And then, you know, we'd also be there with the lighting operator who was sitting next to me at the tech table you know, putting the cues in into her book and exactly where they needed to go. Um, so that was, that was quite an interesting experience. That's so many people ask me a lot of the times where and how different it is to be traveling the world. And often I, I, it's hard to say because we're all just trying to get the job done as fast as possible and it's it's hard to sit back and re- reflect on how that process got done until afterwards. And you're like, oh, well, we got it done. So that's great. But yeah. the only times I can really think of a huge uh, difference is when I go to China. Things are done completely different there. I don't know how often you've worked in China, but the, the I, flow yeah, is China. so different. Absolutely. I mean, I hear that all the time. I have not done China yet. Uh, and I really want to do it. Um, which some people look at me and go, why would you want to do that to yourself? <laughs> um, and I say, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta do everything once, right? <laughs> yeah. So, it's a, it's a, it's a different world. Whereas in the Western cultures, we kind of try and maximize time and efficiency in China. They, they just keep throwing labor at things until it gets done. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those luxuries that they have. They can just, yeah, we'll just get more people and uh, keep, keep throwing it at that problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'd love to experience that. I mean, you know, even in Japan, they, um, it was a very similar thing like loading in and uh, they just throw so many people at load ins and, 
but their but their efficiency and their knowledge um, is you know makes things go that much faster because sometimes you'll do load ins and and you know you'll have you'll have five guys who have never hung a light before or something like that you know whereas I found Japan it's like everyone knows exactly what they're doing and there's a lot of them and so it goes really fast. <laughs> so now you are back home for I would imagine the longest time in quite a while hanging out with your parents and whatnot do they do they kind of understand what it is that you do now that you've been all over the world and now you're back hanging out with them for a while yeah I think they sort of have some uh understanding about what I do I mean I always ask that to people I'm like do your parents understand exactly what you do and you know I always find our our job kind of uh you know because it's so unique I think in some ways it's, it's hard to explain I mean normally you know, uh, I'll, I kind of, my explanation for us, if you kind of take a, you know, project manager, an electrician, an engineer and an architect and take those skills and sort of like kind of mess them around and throw them in one. And that's sort of, you sort of come out with, and, and a designer as well, sort of come out with a lighting designer at the other end, you know? So, I mean, everyone has, their different, everyone has their different take, I guess, but that's in my mind, that's sort of, you know, where things sit. Were they supportive when you decided to go to school for this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I come from a, uh, a music background. I grew up playing saxophone and that was, um, you know, so I was always kind of in the arts and, and, and doing that. Um, but no, they were definitely very supportive. Um, when I finished high school, I moved to the other side of Australia, which is, you know, like moving from New York to LA to mm -hmm. study. Um, so that was quite a big move. And then, and then as if that wasn't, you know, far enough. So I, then I went to New York. <laughs> so, but no, they were very, very supportive of everything. Actually, they, they didn't quite understand it. I think now they've obviously seen a bunch of shows and things like that. And I take them around backstage and, and things like that. And they kind of understand a lot more now. What was the first show you took your parents to? Oh gosh. Like a show in high school. Do, the, do those count? <laughs> no, no. Like the first show that they would have had to buy tickets to, that you like come see the show that I associate designed or yeah, something like I was, that. Um, I was programming uh, when I went on tour. One of the first shows I did was programming cats in Australia. And so they came, they came and saw that. Um, and, and I, you know, gave them the tour around backstage and, and, uh, and, you know, they saw, saw everything and, and that was quite like, wow, that's, you know, pretty, pretty amazing, you know? And they're not in the industry at all, right? No, uh, dad's in insurance and mum is in mental health work. So as far as you can get from our industry. So you really had to explain to them like, no, this is a thing I can make a job doing. I read yeah. a book about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's always funny, you know, when you, when you take people backstage and, you know, they're looking around, they go, oh, wow, this is, this is great. And, you know, I'm like, just remember, like, none of this is here. Like, all of this packs down into trucks and they kind of go wow okay and that's when like i find you know especially my parents like kind of went oh okay this is big like you know but yeah oh we're so happy that little mitch is gonna make it we thought maybe he was running away to join the circus or something and he was gonna end up on the street i'm sure, I'm sure it seemed like that at some point you know they're probably just waiting for the phone call there i'm joining the circus you know lighting isn't working out i might be a clown or an acrobat or something i don't know <laughs> Clearly, he's pulling one pulling one over on us because there's no way he's ever going to be able to make money 
the hanging yeah. out with artists in the in the doing shows. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, do you think that spending all the time going to university helps you, or on, like, because I know that you go back and forth between touring and Broadway and. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Broadway, it's almost undeniable that they're looking for a degree, but on touring side, it's not nearly as crucial. Do you find that it helps helps you in both worlds? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good stepping stone. I don't think you know uh, university is. It's not like you know being a doctor, where like you know you kind of you go through and you learn everything. You come out and you're like, I'm a doctor. I don't. I don't think you kind of go to university, come out and you're like, I'm a lighting designer. I think you want to be a lighting designer, but you like still have a lot more. Even now, I'm like, I still have a lot more to learn and everything like that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I think university is a good thing. I don't think I ever would have gone to university if it hadn't have been for me wanting to go to America. Um, uh, so, you know, I think it serves its purpose to everyone, but, you know, I mean, hands-on and being in the room and industry experience is, is really the still, I think the best way to learn in this industry. I mean, even while I was at school, I, uh, I took a job and got a job at the local roadhouse and, you know, was working on those big touring shows like, you know, Wicked and West Side Story and, um, just trying to remember Annie and, and, you know, just you know, first national size road shows. And, and that experience was fantastic. You know, I was always the first one to put my hand up to go focus because that was what I wanted to, that was the kind of thing that I wanted to get out of the most of, of working on those shows. So I could understand how designers focus their shows, you know, and go, Oh, okay. They're doing, you know, a, a, a five color or two color wash and from, you know, five areas and, and whatever. So that was, that was a really good thing. And I, you know, and encourage people to do that for sure. Yeah, no matter how much schooling you do, you can't you can't beat the first hand hands-on knowledge. You got to be willing to really get rid of any I, any notion of white gloves and just get in there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, growing up in Australia, like the road to being a lighting designer in Australia is a lot different to what it is in America. Like the, you know, the designer kind of comes up through the electrician field in Australia and you become an electrician, you become a head electrician and then, and then you might move on to being a designer. Whereas in America, it's very much you're, I mean, you might do an electrician work as well, but you're an assistant designer, then you're an associate designer and then you'll probably mm-hmm. become a lighting designer. So it's, yeah, it's very, it's a very different kind of route. In Australia, uh, an entire to tour the entire continent takes a matter of days because there's only, you know, seven major markets there that I can. Absolutely. So, you know, the bigger tours will, um, will kind of like, you know, big shows like Harry Potter, for example, that'll at the moment, I think that's in Melbourne and that, that that's will stay there for probably, you know, two years plus, and then they might think about, you know, transferring it to Sydney and which is, you know, only an hour flight North, but you know, then they'll sit in Sydney for a couple of years and then it might go around Australia and do like, depending on how big the show is, it might do, you know, a month, two months, sit down in each city. Normally they don't really go past a six week season. Um, uh, sometimes they do, but um, yeah. So, but, and 
on top of that, the rock and roll stuff, I mean, if you want to hit all the major cities, you can only do, if you can only do one night in a, in a city, you can finish Australia in, in 12 days if you, if you have to. Absolutely. Yeah. You can, you can be in and out really fast. Definitely. Yeah. Unless you're going to go hit all the wineries and then you're going to take a little 20, bit longer. Yeah, 20 yeah. days. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. A lot of big touring acts have started doing that now, especially I think it's in South Australia. There's, there's wine, you know, there's a lot of uh, vineyards out that way. And uh, they, so they set up, you know, big rock and roll stages. Like I think Elton John, who was here, you know, before all this went down, he, he kind of, you know, did a big concert out there. And I think in Sydney did the same thing as well. Do you have a preference these days? Would you, if, if you could choose, would you do a, a sit down in New York city for a while, or would you do a touring rock and roll show? I've never done rock and roll and it's, and it's, I'd love to do it and give it a go, you know, as like a lighting director on it or something like that, just to, you know, say I've done it and it sort of fascinates me, you know, um, just purely because I haven't done it. Um, but no, I, I think what I do at the moment, like, you know, designing shows and being an associate and traveling that way is, is much more engaging to me. I like, you know, I don't necessarily like to sit on one show. Um, I've done that before and, and, you know, I enjoyed it and I had a great time, but I just, I kind of thrive off, you know, new things all the time um, and, and new experiences and different ways to do things. So. Uh, that's probably the toughest thing for our industry as a whole right now is we are not designed to be in one place for two right. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. I think I was working it out the other day. It's like, this is now it's been two months. It's like, it's, it's pretty damn close. This is like the longest amount of time I have been in the same place for uh, like eight, 10 years. I don't like, you know, a long time. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. It's if all, nothing else, I've, I've learned that the nine to five Monday through Friday, humdrum schedule is not my natural cycle. Mm -hmm. I may work 20 hours a day for up to two weeks, three weeks, and then nap for three days sort of guy. Not a. Definitely. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same, you know, uh, you know, the, the Broadway show I was just doing is, you know, you're, you're in tech for like 90 hours a week. But you get in at eight AM and you and you finish at midnight, sometimes later, mm -hmm. sometimes one AM. And you know, and and it's all great and I love it. But you like it when you start to get into previews, like, all right, I've got I've got three days off before <laughs> before the next one. So I you know, I'm gonna sleep the first day. I might, you know, go out and wander around the second day, but also sleep in. <laughs> so I definitely have that, you know, same mentality, absolutely. Having you know, I think that's that's self-care as well. You know, you just got to take care of yourself, you know, which is an important thing. Mm -hmm. Having a regular sleep schedule is actually irregular to me to actually try and go to bed after the kids go to sleep at say 10 mm -hmm. and wake up at seven is, is so alien to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Like my first week back in Australia, you know, I was jet lagged a bit, but I was, I was straight into a regular sleep schedule and, um, and it was great. I, I loved it because, you know, it doesn't really happen like that for me most of the time. So 
um, it was nice. But, uh, you know, so I'd be up at like 6am and probably to bed by 8pm. And so, which is like, you know, normally you're coming back, you're normally in your second hour of tech after dinner at 8pm, you know. <laughs> like a real person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't even know what the world looks like at 6am. I'm normally, uh, I'm usually going to bed around that time, let alone not waking up around that uh-huh. time. Absolutely. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Uh, I find it so taxing to to just kiss my kids goodbye from the from the breakfast table and then then just walk the ten feet to my office, knowing that I'm just going to sit in my office for nine ten hours to just and I, and I love it. I love all the reaching out to people, but I but I know it's going to be the same chair. It's going to be the same walls. Uh huh. I don't know how regular people do it. Like, how do they sit yeah. in cubicles? I know, right? I, yeah, I, you know, I did it for a little bit um, after I was, after the office assistant position, because that position was, you know, was still kind of out and about. But the next job I had was was very much like, not quite nine to five, because it's still the entertainment industry, but it was, it was, you know, it was like that. It was, I had a cubicle and I was like, oh God, I, I can't do this. <laughs> So it was, a, it was a, you know, a small taste, I guess, but I was like, no, that's, that's enough for me. Thanks. <laughs> Did you have jobs outside of our industry? Uh, no, I've always, I've always <laughs> had jobs in the industry. So it was still in showbiz. It was like, you know, even then I was like, mm, no. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the, that's the other thing that's really hard for us is that's true for so many of us. We are so underqualified to do anything else. We've all been at this for so long because our industry is known for being so resilient and so pliable mm-hmm. for, for the entertainment industry to take a hit like this. There's a lot of people that are, that they don't have any skills outside of stagecraft or lighting design and to, to adapt for a lot of us is, is not going to be easy. No, I don't think it will be. And it's, it's, um, you know, I was sort of thinking about that this morning, actually. And, and, uh, and some state, a stage hand friend of mine posted on Facebook saying, you know, is anyone thinking about leaving the industry and reading the comments and, and seeing people going, Oh yeah, I'm sort of thinking about it. You know, might need to get another job as well when this all starts up. And I thought, wow, okay. I'm like, I, I hadn't even given any thought to that. You know, I was like, I, you know, but, maybe I might have to, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah. Yeah. I would imagine if the zombie apocalypse happened, I would have to go ask people like, Hey, do you need a, a high end lighting manufacturing representative for the, <laughs> the zombie apocalypse? Or like, do you have a grand MA two? And I can, I can help. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Absolutely. That hire you on the spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like well no do you have a tourniquet can you help people like no no i can't do any of those things can you cook not really do you you have any manufacturing skills no but if you have a dark place i can light it up for you (laughs) if you have a dark place and like 10 people to help me set it up yeah i can i can design something for you and i can exactly i can do a previs <laughs> i can do a great 3d rendering for you do you need uh-huh. my services can i come inside your fortress 
yeah. no, Chris, we don't really have need for your services. So yeah, yeah I, man, I, I, I need us to get back to, to business as, as soon as possible. I mean, I, I want everybody to get back safely and mm-hmm. in an orderly fashion. Definitely. But, yeah. No, I, I agree. I'm, I'm itching to get out there, you know, especially I, I've kind of relaxed a little bit now, but in those first two weeks where I was back in Australia, you know, it was like, it was just like, Oh my gosh, I, I need to do something right now, you know? So, um, so for me, that was exercise and, you know, kind of keeping myself amused or doing other things as well. But, um, yeah, it's just, especially, you know, I was going, I went from a 90 hour tech week and we're in our first week of previews and normally that process, it kind of just slowly dies off and you kind of, you know, go back to whatever your normal life was before. But um, now it just kind of stopped, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I don't know if we are, we were ready. I don't, not that anybody was ready for it, but in, mm-hmm. in the entertainment business, we all have to have a certain amount of, of nest egg because it, it's not uncommon for us to go a month or two without work. Whereas some other people who have a, a more set schedule where they can even know what they're doing six months from now, mm-hmm. they don't need the same nest egg because they were, they they just know that they're going to be working. Do you find that we're in any, in any exceptional form right now because we're, we're just, we've been taught to prepare for that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, we've definitely been taught to prepare for it, but uh, maybe not perhaps for this long a period, yeah. I guess. And, you know, and I think there's, I think in my particular position, like, yeah, I definitely like, you know, being in the design field, you, you definitely, you know, go there'll be weeks off or sometimes a month off or whatnot, but there's still also a lot of people in the industry who, who, you know, who sit on long running shows, for example, who will just go show to show who, you know, aren't used to that. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think definitely there's, you know, some people are kind of, uh, you know, this is an completely unfamiliar territory. How do you foresee the rebound? Uh, And I guess to be more specific, what is going to be, the motivating factor for you to fly back to New York city? I think as soon as I get a call, as soon as my phone starts ringing, you know, um, uh, and, and soon as soon as that starts happening, I'll, I'll jump on a plane. Um, I'm, I'm sort of thinking it's going to be end of the year, January, um, some, sometime around there. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that's, that's in my head. I mean, that can be completely, completely wrong. I mean, everyone's sort of, you know, you see all these news articles saying what they think at the moment. And really it's, you know, even though it's coming from the news and media outlets, it's still really only opinion based, you know? So that's, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, but we'll see what happens, you know? So you're ready to stay in Australia until January. Yeah, I, mentally, that's kind of what I'm working towards, I think. Yeah. Wow. That's yep. that's a long time. I, yeah, I, I hope that. the beach is open for you long before that. They, yeah, they haven't. Well, they haven't. They never shut the beaches here, which is which is fantastic. Um, but, you, you know, you're only initially you're only allowed to go to the beach for exercise. And that was it. 
Um, but yeah, so, but now you can, you know, go down and have a picnic of no more than five people and, and you can sunbathe and things like that. But, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's, I mean, you know, there's only so much going to the beach you can do, you know, as well. So as, as great as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Right on. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit and chat with me for an hour. This has been very pleasant. I'm really happy to get to get to know you better and I will definitely be keeping track and I will definitely be very interested to see when you fly back to New York. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you. And, uh, and hopefully next time we'll, we'll do this in person. <laughs> That's the way it's designed to be as a relationship developer. It's really supposed to be done with a handshake and maybe even exactly. a hug after a couple of beers, but, uh, yeah. doing it through the screen is definitely a far cry from, from any semblance of normalcy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mitch. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much.